God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and Now. 
Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Amen. How great thou art. Well, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of John, John chapter 8. We're going to use one verse today to kind of kick things off, and then we're going to move along. Last week, I could not wrap my mind around the fact that it was 4th of July. Matter of fact, I was in denial. I don't uh, in any way like the fact that we're almost half, you know, we're getting into summer now. You know, they say summer began at the end of June, but it began a lot earlier for me. But the weather didn't cooperate. <clears throat> so here we are in July already, and I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I'm kind of bumming, man. I feel like summer has just started. And I, and I know that it won't be long, and, you know, my wife doesn't even let me talk like that at home. That's why I got to do it here. <clears throat> but the fact is, is that I, I kind of, I just couldn't wrap my mind around that 4th of July weekend already. But I am going to share something with you that's uh, 4th of July uh, focused, if you will. And uh, I want to share, uh, I guess I'm going to, we're going to look back at the Revolutionary War today. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a lot of quotes, okay? I'm going to be sharing portions and pieces of things I've picked up along the way out of books and things. And I, I want to kind of parallel that to the Christian life just a little bit, all right? And so we're going to um, have a word of prayer. Uh, we're going to take a look at our passage uh, along the way, and uh, we'll go from there. So let's first pray. Uh, you're already in the book of John, John chapter 8, verse 36. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of get moving along after we get done praying. Father, we come to you. We ask that you'd bless us today in this time, this service in which we have. Lord, our goal is to honestly uh, and, and, and overwhelmingly magnify and glorify you. Uh, may you be magnified again. May you be exalted in this place. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for the nation you've given us and for the liberties that we do have. And although uh, many may complain continually and constantly about what America has become, the truth is we still live in a great nation a wonderful nation, and Lord, uh, uh, many freedoms that we possess, most folks around the world don't have a clue. We know that, Father, that's a direct result of your hand in this nation, and we thank you for that. Although many of those in our world are trying to tell us that uh, the founding fathers didn't know anything about you and that somehow uh, it wasn't really begun a Christian nation, we know, that we know the truth. It was, and we thank you for that reality. We ask, Lord, that we as believers, at least, would not allow ourselves to buy into anything less than the fact that you made this nation what it was for your purpose. We need you now, Lord. We love you, and we ask for your leadership. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, let me just say this. I'm convinced, and again, it's not really part of the message. I mentioned it, I think, somewhere in it, but I don't even know if I'll get to that. Uh, the truth is, is that I believe God's hand was on America early on because God knew that America would take the gospel around the world. I mean that. I'm convinced of that. I believe that we overcame Britain. I believe we overcame that tyranny for one reason, one reason really only. Not so that you and I could relax and be comfortable today. Not so that we could express our opinions between each other and, and have this uh, uh, society in which we can disagree with leadership. We can disagree with the position even. We can burn flags and do all the stuff that goes on today. I'm telling you that I believe without a doubt the only reason why America was given the grace that it was given and the favor that it was given by God is because he knew that America would ultimately take the gospel around the world. And we have and indeed have done that. Sadly enough, that is ceasing. And may I say that once we cease to be what God intends us to be in his, in his purpose, we as a nation better start considering where it's going to lead us. And unfortunately, we're seeing, unfortunately, some horrible things happening in our nation. And we are moving so quickly away from God as a nation. And because of that, we are not sharing him with others. 
And uh, unfortunately, I believe that the favor that we once experienced from God will be, uh, we're going to lack it if we're not careful. We're going to miss out on it. And I tell you, the atrocities that the rest of the world is experiencing on a regular basis could very well become part of the atrocities that we experience in our nation too. If we don't get things right with God and move in the right direction. Now, the colonies officially declared independence on July the 4th, 1776. But that declaration was simply that. It was a declaration of independence. Because the battle that would ensue over the next seven years would ultimately determine their fate. Just because they, det- they said, we're free, just because they said, we have liberty, didn't mean they had it. They had to fight for it. And seven long, grueling years, the men and women of this budding nation would endure unspeakable hardships. I mean, they would sacrifice family and friends. They would sacrifice property and prosperity. They would sacrifice comfort and convenience. And yet, to the thousands of colonists that existed on this this continent at the time, it was worth the price to them. As believers in Christ, you know, you and I have been declared free. And we've been declared free indeed. The Bible tells us again in John chapter 8, verse 36, you're there. The Bible tells us, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You want to talk about a promise of liberty. You want to talk about a promise of freedom. It's, it's possible, made possible only through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you experience any freedom in your life, it's really only because of Him. Boy, I'll tell you what. The Bible tells us, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But just like those colonists, freedom comes with a price. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are in a battle. We're in a warfare as well. A spiritual battle. And it manifests itself physically at times, without a doubt. But it is a spiritual battle nonetheless. And the reality is, is although we are free indeed in Christ Jesus, there is a battle to face every day. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, uh, we are admonished to be good soldiers, all because there is a battle that we are in. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We are referenced and, and, and referred to as soldiers today. Why? Because we too are in a battle. Although we too have been said to be free, there's a, a, a war to fight. There's a battle to face. So what can we learn from the citizens of this budding nation that will better equip us for the battle that we face each day? I mean, what qualities, what characteristics enabled them to stand against the tyranny of the British and ultimately rise from the dust and ashes of war to become literally the envy of the world and the picture of liberty? Well, I think it's important that we understand some of those things, that we recognize what it took for them as a nation, us as a nation, to be free, to experience liberty. And I think as believers, because we're in the same kind of battle, in the same warfare, just spiritually, that's the only difference, it's spiritual warfare, we better exhibit the same qualities and characteristics if we want to come out on top and be victorious as well. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And I know I already prayed a little bit, but let's do it again. Father, I do need you now. I pray for your leadership. Bless the people of God today. May we understand the need to be in the battle and to exhibit the qualities and characteristics needed to have victory. 
And Lord, may you help those that have yet to even enter the battle. They're still on the wrong side. They've not received the Lord Jesus. They're still fighting for the wrong cause. And I pray that they would get saved, that they'd trust the Lord Jesus, that they'd recognize him alone as Savior and Lord. Well, thank you. We'll praise you as you do a work in each heart. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, we need to understand that they were facing overwhelming odds. Overwhelming odds. General Washington immediately issued orders that all men were to keep their guns with them at all times and be ready for action at a moment's notice. By August the 1st, it was clear that the Americans would not be able to hold their ground. It was on that date, another 40 ships with an additional 2,500 land troops boarded, uh, came, came, uh, came aboard, and they arrived in New York carrying General Henry Clinton and Lord Charles Cornwallis. It wouldn't be uh, too long after that that 8,000 Haitian mercenaries also landed. As a result, by mid-August, the British were, had amassed more than 30,000 troops in what was the largest expeditionary force that had ever, ever deployed overseas. And this is what they were facing. These farmers, <laughs> these uneducated, basic, just simple people, they were overwhelmingly outnumbered. And as a result, the Americans were pushed back. In a matter of months, they had lost nearly the entire uh, state of New York and had not a single victory to their credit. Things weren't looking too good. As a matter of fact, they were looking pretty bleak at that point. And yet, even so, Washington wouldn't concede that uh, he wouldn't concede. And, and another man by the name of Thomas Paine would continue to write his essays that would inspire and encourage citizens and soldiers alike. When he arrived in Philadelphia, Thomas Paine, that is, the editor of the Pennsylvania Journal read Paine's manuscript and he agreed to publish it immediately. 18,000 copies of Paine's manuscript were, 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 were printed at that point and they were distributed. It was entitled The, it was entitled the American Crisis. And here, here's just a portion. I mean, George Washington actually was one of the first to receive the copies of this. And after reading it himself, he, he asked that all of his commanders and chiefs would ultimately gather the demoralized troops and read it to them out loud. It said, just a portion of it read like this. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. He, but he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. So the question has to be asked again. What enabled these soldiers to stand amidst the overwhelming odds? What enabled them to fight a battle that most said was futile indeed? First of all, I believe courage. Courage. They had to exhibit courage. Courage is defined in Webster's 1828 dictionary as bravery. Intrepidity. Intrepidity. Yes, whatever. If you don't know what I'm saying, I don't either. Anyway, that quality of mind, it goes on, which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirits, valor, boldness, resolution. That's courage. 
And that courage would be best exemplified and demonstrated in, in their leader, by the a man by the name of George Washington. On Sunday morning, September the 15th, while 80 flat-bottomed boats landed with 4,000 British and Haitians uh, uh, shoved off from Long Island, half a dozen royal frigates opened fire on the American positions. The artillery bombardment at Kipps Bay, coupled with thousands of troops landing in front of them, terrified the Americans. They threw down their guns, they leaped from their trenches and tripped over each other as they ran blindly to the rear. Officers also frightened. They, they quickly gave the order to retreat without even consulting or, or talking to their commanding, commander-in-chief for his approval. Meanwhile, Washington... He was stationed in Harlem Heights, which was about five miles away, and he had heard the sound of guns and was riding up on the post road at the full, on a full gallop toward Kipps Bay. When he got there, he stood smack, he, stood, he rode smack into thousands of his men fleeing for their lives in the opposite direction. Stop, he ordered. Take the walls, take the cornfield. But the troops completely ignored him, and they just kept running. Washington then lost his temper. He pulled out one of his pistols and he fired it into the air. He began to strike some of the other some of the soldiers with his riding crop while he called them dastardly sons of cowardice. And then he pulled his saber and he threatened to run through the next man he encountered. Finally, in total frustration, Washington threw his hat to the ground and he cried, Good God, have I got such troops as these? Are these the men with whom I'm to defend America? By the way, I don't believe he was using that in a bad way. I believe he had a relationship with God, my friend. He talked to God faithfully and regularly. That wasn't used in vain. In his subsequent letter to Congress, he stated that he had, quote, found troops retreating, flying in every direction, and in a great confu greatest confusion. I used every means in my power to rally and to get them into order, but my attempts were fruitless. At last, all the American troops had passed him by, and Washington was left sitting on old Nelson his beautiful white mound, all by himself, in despair. As the front line of British troops approached and began shooting, Washington just turned and looked at them. Nathaniel Green later said that he felt the general would rather die than live at that point. And then two aides rode into the, into the fray and grabbed old Nelson's reins and led their commander-in-chief away to safety. At that point, the British, get this now, the British and Haitian troops stopped firing and actually cheered George Washington's bravery. They had never before seen anything like it. Facing the enemy, bullets flying, George Washington just stares them down. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. Somebody said, that's not courage, that's stupidity. I'll tell you one thing, it inspired people, though. Tremendous courage. I believe courage is absolutely necessary. And honestly, the Bible tells us that if we're going to honestly make an impact in the world we live, if we're going to uh, truly uh, do a work for God, then we're going to need some courage. It's not always without fear that we face this world. There are obstacles that we face. There are enemies that we face. And unfortunately, you're going to need some courage. The Bible tells us in Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. The truth is, is that as believers, we have the Lord Jesus Christ with us. And if there's a reason not to be afraid, if there's a reason to face the, uh, uh, the enemy head on, it's because we have a God that's bigger than the enemy. 
Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Be thou, but neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Not only courage, but I believe devotion. Devotion or dedication, you may call it. That is defined as the state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. One of the most famous spies of the American Revolution was Nathan Hale. A 24-year-old Yale-educated school teacher and poet from Connecticut. During the fall of 1776, in an attempt to gather information on enemy troop movements, Hale had slipped behind enemy lines, British lines, that is, in New York. He was captured on September the 21st and taken to General William Howe. He was the commander of British forces at the time. With only his Yale diploma for identification and papers obtained uh, uh, outlining his mission, Hale confessed that he was indeed a spy for George Washington. And as such, Howe ordered him hanged the next morning. Several British officers and regulars reported being impressed with the courageous and proud manner in which this young man went to the gallows. One redcoat recorded that when asked if he had any last words, Nathan Hale said these words, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. A 24-year-old young man, a young man, here he is behind enemy lines. Here he is putting his life on, on, uh, at risk for America, for freedom, for liberty. 24 years old. Everybody that's 20 to 25 years old, stand up, would you please? If you're 20 to 25, please stand up. Okay, small group here and here today. Most of them are up teaching your kids and others. That's the age of the young people that were fighting the war that made the difference. Most of them were in the age between 20 and 24 years, 25 years old. You may be seated, thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd be that anxious to die for my country. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't win wars and you don't win battles unless you have some devotion, some dedication. Somebody's got to do the fight and somebody's got to take the risk. And in this case, Nathan Hale did. I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world where it's not going to be easy to, to stand as a believer. We're in a battle too. And God's asking you and I as believers to take a stand for him. And he's going to send us behind enemy lines, and we are there today. Oh, it's easy to be a Christian in the confines of this building. But he doesn't send us here. He sends us behind enemy lines. He's asking us to make an impact and a difference in the world we live. He's asking us to get information on troop movements and to understand what the world's like and to be able to face that world and to deal with that world and to fight and battle against the world so that Christ himself will reign supreme. Young people are quick to say, I don't want to pay the price to be the Christian that God intends me to be. I don't want to have to fight that battle. I want to blend in. I want to be like others. May I tell you something today? Christianity is dead. Christianity is over with if young people don't take up the cross and bear it. Now someone says, well, he's going to prevail. He will. But I'll tell you one thing. He wants you to be a part of the battle. Stop, let's not check out. Let's check in. Devotion and dedication. 
Without a doubt, it's something that we have to be very cognitive of. We have to be very aware of. The Bible tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What are you going to spend your life doing? In the end, when you lay on your deathbed or you arrive on heaven's shore and you're at the judgment seat of Christ, let me ask you, what are you going to tell God you spent your life doing? I mean, really, what, 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 what makes your life worth living? I just want to live life. What life? For what purpose? It seems that nowadays we're having a more difficult time than ever getting young people to even commit to ministry, let alone full-time ministry. It used to be they, they flocked in groves to take their place in Bible colleges and universities and seminaries across the country to grow and to learn so that they could be better suited to reach the world with the gospel. Now we're lucky to get them to even go to church. And we're not doing much better with baby boomers. And we're not doing much better with Generation X. We're not doing much better with any of them. What's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. We're not willing to pay the price. I'm glad a William Hale, a 24-year-old educated man, was willing to give his life and lay it down so that America could be free and so we could sit here today and enjoy those freedoms. Who will be free because of you? Who will be free because of your life? Your effort in the battle. Who will be free because of mine? Not only do we note the courage and note devotion, whatever, what it, it also took perseverance. There's no war won by a, one victory. There has to be victory after victory, and there are going to be defeats along the way. There are going to be setbacks. There has to be perseverance. And may I say in the Christian life, you're going to have some setbacks. It's not always going to be easy going. It's not always going to be on the mountaintop. It's going to have to be some perseverance. As winter began to take hold on December, 7, December 1777, General House forces settled into the warm, comfortable confines of Philadelphia. Meanwhile, Congress, they uh, clamored and got all upset from York, Pennsylvania, saying that George Washington needed to retake and defend Philadelphia. But Washington understood something very important. He was around the men. He understood the circumstance and the situation that they found themselves. He realized that they were in no shape to do battle at this point. So Washington, he, he thought rest and regrouping was necessary. And so he chose to, to locate his winter quarters at Valley Forge, a site about 20 miles northwest of Philadelphia. And there he would be able to keep an eye on the British, but also help to, the troops to gain some strength and some morale. On December 19th, 11,000 members of the American army literally staggered into the new encampment. Most of the men were between 20 and 24 years of age, with an average height of 5 feet 7 inches. They represented many of the states and dozens, dozens and dozens of vocations. Farmers to lawyers, bakers to craftsmen. Upon their arrival, they were cold, hungry, destitute. You know, most of them only had one shirt. Many of them had none. 
Thousands had no hats, no coats, no shoes, no socks. Hundreds more had to be carried or helped by their comrades because they were too sick to walk by themselves. Washington stated, quote, You might have tracked the army from White Marsh to Valley Forge by the blood of their feet. That's not an exaggeration. See, there was no shelter at the campsite and nothing to eat when they arrived. As a result, Thomas Paine's, of, of, excuse me, as a result of Thomas Paine's efforts again, his desire and to, to improve Washington's reputation and also his desire to see more enlistments, more volunteers to the Continental Army. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote and they saw that 11,000 number jump to 13,500. However, during the six months at Valley Forge, 3,000 men died of starvation and disease. Nearly one in four. Many lost limbs from severe frostbite and all witnessed their comrades suffer unimaginable hardships. And yet, and yet those who survived that fateful winter later pointed to Valley Forge as the turning point of the American Revolution. John Marshall of Virginia, later Chief Justice of the United States, wrote concerning that time, I found myself associated with brave men from different states who were risking their life and every valuable in a common cause. I was confirmed in the habit of considering America as my country. Can we stop that clicking? That's driving me. Whoever's clicking their pen. Click. Somebody's clicking something. Can you stop that for me, please? Where's that click? Is that up here? Can somebody climb up in the ductwork, please? <laughs> it's a bird? <laughs> Who, like Nathan Hale, will go cross over the lines and... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I thought for sure somebody's going. <laughs> and then I thought they were really being bad. Like, I thought it's got to be somebody that can't hear now because they're not. <laughs> okay, but anyway. <laughs> Finally, and I got to move quickly because we got to close here soon. I've, I've, I'm convinced courage was a factor, that devotion and dedication. Perseverance. They persevered. They got through that difficult time. We talk about wilderness experiences in the Christian life. Let me ask you, will you continue or will you quit? Will you allow hardship and heartache to keep you from being the Christian God intended you to be? Or will you continue to move forward for Him? Finally, I believe one of the greatest reasons why these early patriots were victorious is because they fought with a cause. A cause. Thomas Paine again, he's going to share, we're going to share a quote from his four-page pamphlet. Well, it was a four-page pamphlet that he wrote, actually. And um, Washington had suffered a, a number of casualties and a number of deaths in a battle. Matter of fact, more than 1,000 died and 400 were wounded in one of the battles. And so Thomas Paine wrote, 
uh, a pamphlet to try to encourage the troops, the people, and uh, the leadership. And he wrote these words. He said, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. It is not a few acres of ground, but a cause that we are defending. It is natural for men to feel concern at such circumstance. But the, but the dejection lasts only for a moment. They soon rise out of it with additional vigor. The glow of hope, courage, and fortitude will, in a low time, kindle the whole heart into heroism. People don't talk like that anymore, do they? See, these men, they were fighting for a cause. They were fighting for liberty, for freedom, freedom for themselves, for their families, for the next generation. That cause compelled them to risk life and limb. After being told that the Germans were known to make a great deal of Christmas and that the Haitians occupying Trenton would probably celebrate well into the night with heavy drinking, George Washington decided to recross the river and launch a daring surprise attack. By mid-afternoon on Christmas Day, 2,400 Americans were marching nine miles upriver to McConkie Ferry, to McConkie's Ferry, where they would cross the Delaware River. Along the way, of course, they stayed behind low hills so as not to be seen by the British sentries. Sorry, I'm mixed up on my numbers. Oh, there it is. Okay, I knew I had it somewhere around here. At 6 p.m., the general recorded in his diary, General Washington said, It is fearfully cold and raw and a snowstorm setting in. The wind is northeast and beats in the faces of the men. It will be a terrible night for the soldiers who have no shoes. Some of them have old rags tied around their feet, but I've not heard a man complain. Washington crossed the Delaware with soldiers, horses, and artillery, He did it at night, under cover of darkness, in freezing cold weather, during a storm mixed with snow, rain, and hail. The entire crossing took nearly nine hours. By the time everyone had reached the other side at 4 a.m., their clothing was wet or frozen, and much of their gunpowder was soaked through. When the order was given for the march south to Trenton, two of the soldiers who had lain down to rest were found dead. During the march... The men were asked to be as quiet as possible, and orders were relayed through a chain of whispered commands. As the troops slogged through the ice and snow, some left a trail of blood from their exposed or bare feet. When the Americans descended on Trenton, the Haitians were taken completely by surprise. Many of them poured out of their quarters into the streets. They were hung over. They, many of them were just clad in their, their night shirts. And because Washington had attacked with, with a driving wind at his back, the enemy had to contend with that snow and that hail and that, that, that wind in their faces. Then the Haitians attempted to assemble. An order was given to artillery captain Alexander Hamilton, you may have heard of him, to fire cannons at point-blank range. Colonel Rawl, who had been drinking heavily at the Trenton Cat Tavern the night before, died from wounds inflicted by the artillery barrage. Within two hours, the battle was over. In addition to taking 1,000 prisoners, the Americans had also captured artillery, ammunition, 40 horses, about 1,000 muskets, and other supplies, including food and clothing. In contrast, this is so interesting, Washington's troops had suffered only four slightly wounded men during the battle. 
One of those was a young officer named James Monroe, who would later become the fifth president of the United States. Now, again, the secret, the true secret of the success of this army, I believe, cannot, cannot truly be identified except to say God. You can't discount the divine hand of God in this thing. You can't do that. It would be America, again, as I said, that God would use to evangelize the world. But may I say that in a very practical sense, it demanded some real characteristics and qualities that, that, that have, to be, have to be there. They have to be on site if we're going to see victory. One is courage. The other is devotion and dedication, perseverance, and fighting for a cause. I wonder, what is your cause in life? What is your purpose for existing? Have you defined that through the word of God? Do you know why you're here? And are you willing to pay the price, fight the battle that God intends for you? Go ahead out into the world and make as much money as you can, young people. Go ahead and live your lives to find and seek out happiness. Go ahead and do all of those things. And yet in the end, you will be empty and you'll have nothing to show for it in eternity. And may I say that's true in our adult lives. We are so bound and wound up with the things of this world. We are so constantly geared for this flesh, this, this temporal world in which we live. We fail to remember that we are in a battle for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. That there is a world that awaits us, an eternity that awaits us. And that there is an eternity and a world awaiting them as well. They'll either go to heaven or hell. And the fact is, is that the, how we fight that battle will determine where they spend it. You say, well, that's up to them what they decide. My friend, if we don't get out there on the front lines and make an impact and a difference in their life, if we don't fight the battle in the face of the enemy, they'll never hear about Jesus Christ. A war for freedom. A war fought for liberty. A war fought not only for the ones who lived in that day, but for generations to come. And may I say, we need to fight the battle not just for ourselves and not just for our own, but for generations to come. What sacrifices will you make for the cause of Christ? What hours will you spend on your knees in God's word, in his harvest field? How will you spend your life? Will you spend it fighting a battle worth fighting that may cost you even life or limb? But in eternity, you'll have the favor of God. Or will you spend it on temporal things which will lend themselves to nothing in the end, simply be burned up, wasted years, wasted effort. May God help us to fight the battle, to be in the war. And if you're lost today without Christ, my friend, if you've never invited the Lord Jesus into your life, you are not going to just somehow get lucky and end up in heaven. Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago and he suffered blood for you. He paid the ultimate price so that you, as the Bible tells us in John 8, could be free indeed, free from sin, free from the consequences of sin, free from the bondage and enslavement of Satan, the little G God of this world.
Will you allow him to make you free indeed today? By acknowledging him as God who became man and flesh, who lived a perfect sinless life, and he did that on your behalf so that he could pay for your sin? Are you willing to acknowledge him as Savior and Lord by receiving and accepting him into your life and saying, I'm the sinner you died for. I know I deserve hell, but I don't want to spend a moment there. I'm trusting you because you're the only one that can forgive me and save me. You're the only one that can change my life, my heart, my all. Won't you trust him today? Won't you allow him to liberate you from sin and from the bondage and enslavement of it? He can do that. Father, we come to you.